welcome to the latest episode of Nudges for Social Good, the LGA's podcast about behaviour change. So each month we release an episode of a conversation which shares councils or other public sector organisations' experience of running a project to change behaviour locally. I'm Rian Gladman and I manage the Behavioural Insights programme here at the LGA. And previously in our programme, we've supported individual councils to run their insights projects. But this year, we've taken a very different approach at the LGA and we've started to work with groups or consortiums of councils in regions across the country. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by the Yorkshire and Humber Consortium. Good morning, ladies. Thank you for being with us today. Morning. Morning, Rianne. Morning. Uh, I'll, can you please introduce yourselves and your, your job roles, please? Yeah. Uh, hi, everyone, and thank you for listening in. Uh, my name's Caroline Temperton, and I'm the Public Health Lead at Doncaster Council for the Wider Determinants of Health. And this area of work includes a variety of topics such as spatial planning, air quality and active travel, for which I chair an, uh, an active travel alliance in Doncaster. This alliance brings together partners across the council whose work impacts on ac active travel. So, for example, that might be transportation, highways, road safety, planning colleagues uh, and anyone really that's got some kind of <clears throat> connection with um, with active travel or the infrastructure or behaviour change to it and hence my participation in this behavioural insights project. So that's, that's a role with with huge uh, parts to it there Caroline so thank you for being with us this morning and looking forward to to digging into to more of, of what the job entails and the types of work you've been doing as we go through. Um, Maddie over to you. Yeah, hi, I'm Maddie Arden. I'm Professor of Health Psychology and Director of the Centre for Behavioural Science and Applied Psychology at Sheffield Hallam University. And um, we have been the, the sort of supplier, if you like, the um, uh, advisors on this project. And we've supported um, a group of six local authorities from across Yorkshire and Humber um, through this programme of work. Um, and we work across kind of lots of different behaviours, um, and so I'm, whilst I'm a professor of health psychology, I don't just uh, do behavioural science in relation to health anymore, although that's how I started. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, the involvement. And that's interesting about your role, because that's that's our experience of working in behavioural science in local government. It very much start, grew out of the public health field and, and we've seen it really flourish across all of the many many services that councils run so I think it's interesting your role is sort of track that development as well. Yeah I mean lots of I think the sort of theoretical developments and the frameworks and and methods have come from that sort of health sector but actually they're applicable to all sorts of behaviours and obviously there's been sort of other uh, fields as well like behavioural economics that has also kind of contributed so um, I think behavioural science now is bringing together of all those theories and methods from from health psychology, from behavioural economics, from from other places as well. And we're drawing on all of them and applying them to lots of different behaviours. Excellent. So let's start at the very beginning, shall we? So tell me more about how the Yorkshire and Humber Consortium came to being. So one of our one of our one of my colleagues over at Bradford Council, um, Nikki Knowles, 
had the thought to pull together a consortium and got in touch with partners, well, other local authority partners that she thought might be interested across the region to see what appetite there was for, for participation in, in a collaborative project. I think we were aware at that time that um, LGA had not done a collaborative behavioural insights programme before, um, and I think people were really keen to get involved and, and, and do it as a consortium and, and get involved in that way. Understand as well a little bit more about the LGA Behavioural Insights Programme and what that can bring to a local authority, either working in a collaborative way or as an individual local authority as has happened before. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Sorry, and I think that I think that built on. Um, so it was Nikki Knowles, wasn't it, from Bradford, and she at the time was uh, co-chairing with me a behavioural science hub, which was part of the public health network. So we were trying, and we still are, kind of building uh, capacity in in public health colleagues around behavioural science and kind of getting interested people. But the consortium went wider than the group that we had at, at that beginning. So Nikki kind of contacted the people she knew through that network, but also kind of other colleagues in other local authorities who perhaps weren't so engaged in the sort of uh, or, or uh, in the behavioural sort of science um, network at that point. Um, but that's certainly something that sort of, I think, was um, a beginning of that sort of network of and collaboration starting. So is it sort of fair to say it was a mixture of some people who had experience of working in behavioural science and others that didn't? So it's a sort of mixed approach. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think some people were you know, quite embedded in the behavioural science world. Other people were interested but didn't have so much sort of knowledge or experience. Um, but were keen to kind of see how could, it could apply to their work and the value that they could get from it. And I think as well, because active travel is, is, has become so um, <clears throat> such a dominant topic, I suppose, throughout the pandemic and, and you know, and beyond that and how people have, have sort of embraced it in some ways. I think the topic area as well for all the local authorities and the behavioural science team to come together on was sort of the, at the top of everybody's agenda so i think whatever topic area is picked as well for the the collaboration is 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 key so what was the behavior that you were trying to change as a consortium we wanted to uh, well it took a lot of discussion to get to a, a point didn't it maddie as a as a group but we wanted to um increase active travel for local short journeys and by that, we put some criteria around it. So when we're talking about active travel, we're talking about predominantly walking and cycling. Um, and we based it initially on the 20 minute neighbourhood concept um, where we're encouraging people, you know, they can travel for maybe 10 minutes actively and 10 minutes back. And it's just a short journey within their local area to their local services. So that could be shops or farms, you know, it, community centre whatever and we built our intervention around that concept it did take a bit of pinning down actually <laughs> because um, I think you know everybody came with a slightly different conception of what active travel was and as Caroline says that sort of asking something realistic that everybody could probably do so we weren't sort of asking people to cycle you know 20 miles into work or whatever we were asking people to kind of in their local area 
um, to, to change and, and make a change so that it was active travel. So, yeah, as, as Caroline said, we sort of pinned that down to um, within the local area. Um, and then we had this, we, we defined it in the end, both in terms of time and distance, because cycling and time and walking and time, you get to different distances. So we're talking about sort of a mile away from home in the end. And that's what we we managed to pin it down to. And it was important to pin it down because then when we went on to the trial, we knew we needed to measure it. So we needed to have something that was really clear and we all understood that we were talking about the same thing. Um, so we did spend some time at the beginning of the project sort of agreeing what, what we all meant by active travel before we kind of progressed further. I guess that's sort of the first key learning point, isn't it really? You know, then the reason why we wanted at the LGA to go for this more mm. consortium approaches to scale up and make sure you're getting the numbers through the trials which can be an issue can't it uh, with smaller smaller units of government that that, that some councils can be and, and the smaller units of, of the audience the target audience the demographic we're trying to approach actually by going on a regional approach you've got you're starting to address the, the concerns of scale but that brings with it you know you've got to get that consensus um, what was your what was your top tip for other councils listening in who are thinking we want to form a consortium? What's your top tip for getting to that consensus reasonably quickly? So I think we had a period where we were discussing what everybody was thinking. So that you have to have a sort of discovery part of the conversation, which is how is everybody defining it? Um, and then we did, I think, during that discussion, think about the fact that we had to measure it because um, we, that was something that was coming. So that was sort of guiding the discussion partly. And then I think it was just kind of different views of, you know, um, obviously we had quite different local authorities with different areas. So we had some sort of urban sort of city uh, councils like Bradford, and then we had North Yorkshire, which is very uh, rural and, and quite different. So those different places had sort of different things to think about. Um, and just, you know, over the, we, we would gradually kind of narrow that discussion down, I think, into the key things that everybody agreed on. And then we I think the, the role from from my point of view from SEBSAP is we try to sort of write that down in a definition that everyone could say, yes, that's it. Um, but yes, we did go round and round a little bit, didn't we, Caroline, I think? We did. I think it, it was defining that what are we actually asking people to do? And because of the nature of the geography of the different um, local authority areas, as Maddie said, you know, uh, linking in that we didn't want people to start having to cycle 20 miles or walk for miles on end. But we know that some of those uh, geographical areas are, are the really small villages and, and they're not they've not got a lot of services within them. So that's why we really tailored it down to that short, very short journey that we could expect people to do. But I think from my perspective of being a member of the collaborative, it was having um, that impartial facilitator if you like so Maddie and team that could really um draw out of us as a group what we wanted to achieve and and do that have that conversation because sometimes it's difficult to step back when you're in the midst of it and take that broader view of what you're wanting to get out of something and understand everybody's different circumstances so it all comes together and I think if we'd have not had um Maddie and a team there to do that we could have been going around in circles for a long time on that point because obviously as well we've all got our own passion for what we want to do in our own local authority areas we know our areas quite well and it's it's like 
oh, I didn't really want to do that. I wanted to do this, but actually, because we could facilitate that in a, a really, um, no, I mean, nobody acted like that, don't get me wrong, but, you know, we all come with our preconceived ideas, don't we, of what we want, but having Maddie and team there to do that and support us through it is my top tip. Get somebody to help you do that, whether it's somebody from a behavioural science team or just somebody that's completely impartial to it and, and can ask those questions and get that deeper understanding and that group come together and, and come to that consensus would be my top tip, I think. For a collaborative piece well even if you were working in your own local authority area it might be, be even more important because you still need somebody to bounce ideas off yeah i think that's that's a really key point isn't it it's almost like you the council you're coming to the collective as you called it um and you sort of have to we ideally we'd love this challenge in or trial in our local area but actually we're going into the collective here and there'll be a bit of compromise mm. um but but it's about you know it was across Yorkshire and I mean, it was more of a, a sort of regional trial wasn't yeah. it that you were trying to get to it's keeping that outcome in mind isn't it I think mm. it's really important as you as you go through it so so you've got your consensus around you know what the trial is what your the behavior is that you're trying to change what happened next so we did um, a bit of a scoping review and this was a mixture of looking at the literature um, so, you know, the academic papers that are out there, um, but also sort of reports and things that have been done previously. But we also asked and, and the local authorities had done lots of kind of insight work already. So that was really, really important, I think, to draw on what had happened before. We weren't coming into this, you know, blind. Everyone had been doing work in their different uh, local authorities about uh, about active travel. So we kind of drew that all together. Um, and we started to use the framework, which we then went on to use through the whole of the work, the sort of COMBI framework, capability, opportunity and motivation. And we looked at the kinds of barriers and facilitators that people would identify both in the literature and the, in the work uh, that had been done by the local authorities up to then to see the kinds of things that people were identifying um, as being important. So that was sort of a first step, you know, rather than let's it's not a blank slate there's been loads of work here already what can we learn from that um, that was the sort of first step I think Caroline yeah yeah and I think did we then move on to the focus groups Maddie to sort of um consolidate some of that fight some of those findings from the uh, evidence review that you'd take that had taken place so each local authority held a focus group within their well we had to do it um, virtually. I think that was the thing throughout this. We didn't know whether we were going to be in lockdowns or not throughout the, the time that we, we worked this. So that was sort of a bit of another spanner that was thrown in. But we all had, we all facilitated each local authority rep with support from Maddie's team, a focus group with a group of, I think there were about six or seven people in most of the focus groups and we just ran through a series of similar to this it was more of a conversation and we went through a series of different points that we wanted to talk about but that all linked again to the combi model so when we got the findings from that they could all that it could be easily um matched against what had been found in the literature review to see if anything different came out any new thoughts that had come up that we'd not thought about and you know, it was really interesting to see to do that and with the, we used an organisation to organise the focus group so it wasn't relying on the local authority 
getting the people and what I really liked about that was it wasn't the usual suspects that we sometimes get when we're putting out consultations and focus groups and things with the local authority setting it was a completely different group of people that probably we wouldn't have reached without using that organization to do that I'm, I'm so I was smiling there because not only were you like a guinea pig for the consortium approach we were doing it during COVID as well and yeah. then the lockdowns and you know th that's really important context isn't it? and a huge challenge that that you guys were all going through at the time and workload and pressures and and yeah doing it all virtually I think yeah that's another key learning point for me is is actually using that other organization to get the attendees onto the focus group can you say more about that please I think that's really important for people listening yeah, so we we've worked with it's it's an organisation called um, QA um, who we've worked with on a number of projects and they're a, a research organisation and um, they they can help with recruitment basically so they they have access to sort of panels and and links and people like that or they will stand and I think this is what they did for this project they went to the local authorities where they wanted to recruit and they stood um, around in clipboards in sensible places and recruited people to take part in these focus groups and I think um, yeah as, as Caroline says if you're if you're using kind of usual channels then you are getting the same voices in different sorts of projects and I think making sure that we uh, we had sort of a sampling framework so we wanted to make sure we had a mix of of genders a mix of ethnicities that represented the local authorities where we were doing the the focus group we only did one in each local authority um, partly sort of time and and things like that and it, it had a number of uh, so it was really useful for the project to make sure as I say those findings or as Caroline says rather the findings from the literature matched the sort of barriers and facilitators in the local authorities and there were some differences um, uh, one that springs to mind as an obvious one is is hills being an issue um, in some parts of uh, Yorkshire and Humber but less so in others for example um, but it was also an opportunity um, so part of the the purpose of this this project was sort of upskilling the local authorities in doing behavioural science work. So um, we offered them some training around doing those focus groups. And then, as Caroline said, um, the, the local authority representatives like, like Caroline, a person from each local authority, ran those focus groups with support from us. So that um, kind of gaining those skills in doing that. And that's partly around sort of the kinds of questions that you ask. So some of the, the downsides of looking at the literature is that you get the answers around the questions that you've asked about. Um, whereas what we we tried to do when we designed the topic guide in collaboration with all the, the local authorities was make sure that we were asking around the sort of full range of things that we um, theory suggests should impact on behaviour. So we asked questions about people's sort of capability things, opportunity things, motivational things. So we had a really sort of big range and that's, you know, we can't say that from the literature that's gone before because it depends what the questions were. So um, I think that was um, a really sort of valuable point and it using a, an organisation like QA also sped things up massively. So we had we were doing this in a in a short space of time um, and um, that was really valuable. Just to add the, the other thing about the focus groups were online and obviously in COVID times, that's something we've all had to switch to for, for all of the projects we've done. I have to say, I think we've recognised the value of online focus groups much more than we ever had before. I think for many people that actually just easier for the participants. So you can be at home, 
you know you haven't got childcare issues to you know we've had focus groups with children in the background dogs whatever that's fine so you're it it makes it easier for the participants and actually to some extent for the fa facilitator i think it does as well because sometimes in a focus group you can have people talking over each other in a room so kind of multiple conversations going on and an online focus group sort of prevents that from happening because you can't have everybody talking over each other. The system doesn't allow that to happen. It kind of cuts out the sound. So it, it kind of created a bit more of a structure um, and with you know facilitation, everybody's still a, a able to have their say. So I think there's definitely some learning around the value of online focus groups that we were sort of forced into accidentally, but um, is quite will be quite useful, I think, going going forward. I totally agree, Maggie. Sometimes the formality comes when you bring a group of people together. It's almost like a formal meeting and people are in a, an area that they're not comfortable in. It's somewhere that they've maybe not been before. If we do it in a, you know, a room at our council offices or a community centre even, it's not somewhere that people feel quite comfortable. But I think people being in their own homes gave it a, a, a much more softer sense of of relaxation and and people just seemed to you know they were just sat on the sofas having a cup of tea and talking and it just seemed a lot more friendly if you like so yeah i totally agree with maddie i think people felt a bit more comfortable in that way and you know it, it acts as a bit of a barrier doesn't it having a, a screen in front of you you don't feel quite as open i suppose um but yeah i thought it worked really well I think, yeah, that's a really important point, isn't it? We need to understand what the barriers are for all of the local community to the behaviour we want to change, don't we? And I think if this is a, a more accessible way of doing that and, and actually understanding the, the challenges for, for all of the sections of the community, then then that that's only a good thing, isn't it? So you mentioned there about hills with what else, what other insights were you getting? This is the bit I find this bit fascinating. What are people telling you are the reasons why they are not doing active travel across Yorkshire and Humber? Weather. <laughs> I have to say, yeah. Um, and actually, when when we did the trial and we asked an open-ended question about the sort of biggest barrier to to active travel, it was weather. But just to, just to add, it was done during the period of the huge storms that we had in early 2022. So um, yes, so weather is probably normally a factor, but I think it was probably emphasised more than usual just because of uh, the time it was done. I'm just uh, just getting to. <laughs> I think was time something, Maddie, that came out quite often? Yes, so um, there, there was a really big range of factors, I think. Yeah. Um, and, you know, some of them are quite unique to people and some of them, you know, lots of people experience. So, yes, there's definitely a, a time factor. So um, that it or a perception of a mm. time factor and that's perhaps that that's something that's quite important because um there was a perception that it would take longer to walk or cycle um but then obviously if you kind of maybe factored in the parking you know so people weren't thinking about the parking time or those kinds of things but there was definitely a sort of perception of time that it took longer um there was um an issue around planning um that you'd sort of uh, so people were not necessarily an issue actually people who were more active because we had a mixture in the focus groups and I think that was really important because yeah. we found out what worked for people as well as what what was getting in the way um so 
people who planned things better were, were able to be at more active. So that might mean um, that they sort of uh, parked the car and walked for a bit, for example. That's how they kind of got activity in. Um, or they, yeah, they kind of planned sort of specific routes, things like that. Um, they were knowledgeable about the sort of benefits of, of physical activity, I guess, as well. And that was quite an interesting one, actually, because for some people, active travel was part of their physical activity. And it sort of, you know, that was they wanted to be active and it was part of it. But for other people, their physical activity was something completely separate from how they travelled. So for them, it was kind of their activity was going to the gym or doing some kind of sport. <clears throat> and they didn't really kind of think about or talk about active travel as being something that was just how you got somewhere. So they hadn't sort of made that connection. And so that was a that was a really interesting finding, I think. Mm -hmm. um, for some people, it was very much about where they lived. And what was around them. So for some people, they just didn't have sort of shops or um, takeaways or whatever close enough within a mile to walk to. So some of this was, you know, it wasn't for everybody, but for some people they lived in places that there weren't places to walk to or that they would want to walk to or that they felt felt safe walking to in their local area. So it was very much around the environment around them, the sort of opportunities in, our, in the combi model, if you like, um, that was that was important. And those safety concerns were some some of the things that stopped people from from uh, walking and cycling. Um, I'm just thinking about the other ones, kind of carrying stuff. Yeah, that was another that was another really OK. Important. So, you know, if you, you can go to the sh the local shop and buy sort of a, a loaf of bread or whatever, but to, to go to and do a bigger shop, you need to be able to get that home. Um, so you know, depending on how fit you and healthy you were or or things like that affected whether people thought they they could um, carry stuff. And if they couldn't carry stuff, then they then they would uh, choose to take the car. Um, so there was a really wide range of range of factors, really, some of which um, in the sort of next steps that we went into, some of which we thought were amenable to change, we could do something about, and some of them we really couldn't. So um, that was part of the sort of next steps, actually, kind of going through these. So we we, we um, categorised them around sort of capability, opportunity and motivation and the different sorts of uh, factors underneath of those. And then we sort of spent some time, didn't we, Caroline, looking at, well, OK, what can we do about each of those? Can we do anything about them within the context of the trial, but also in the context of the local authorities taking some of those reasons back to other aspects of work to feed into, you know, other bits of planning around active travel? I don't know, Caroline, if. Yeah, so I think as part of the collaboration back to that clarity around what we were trying to achieve. We had to really focus down on what we could do as an intervention for this particular behavioural insights programme. But I think one of the main things that, uh, aside from the findings from the, the programme, one of the main things from for me, and I know other local authority colleagues that have been involved is those findings for our own particular local authority areas that came out of the literature and the focus groups and the findings as well from the, the Insight project itself and how we can apply some of those for our longer term plans. 
is a local authority. So I mentioned earlier that I'm part of an active travel alliance group and that's bringing together all those partners. We can use those findings now to um, plan, I suppose, and, and, and make better, if you want, our interventions going forward. So it's not just stopping with that programme. Oh, yeah, isn't it nice we've learnt this and we know that these barriers exist and what we can do about them. It's actually we can take some of that learning into our broader local authority work and use it on a bigger scale. So influencing maybe where infrastructure needs to go, where we need to focus some of our behaviour change, uh, services that we offer as local authorities we've all got several several things walking groups learn to ride groups you know we get there's a lot of funding coming through to put in cycle safe cycleways and pathways so it's all all that we've learned it's not going to get left just because it wasn't part of that actual program it's what we're taking away is extra information if you like to inform us for our future um, planning locally it's a really important point, isn't it? What the what next point? We've obviously got this six month project you guys have been working on that we're talking about today, but what will continue and, and what you know, you've built your skills, your confidence, run the focus groups, been trained up in that, and it, and you've got this really valuable insight mm -hmm. plotted against the combi model that you can then set up your own next projects, can't you, as a group yeah. and and start and like you say influencing things like you know the opportunities stuff around geography and you know there are some things you're not going to change the hills obviously but there are other things around infrastructure that you can start to do so so you've got your insights and then what did you do next so as I said we we sort of looked at all of those and we did we used something called the appease criteria um, which looks at I'm just going to remind myself what the appease criteria it's um affordability um uh practicability uh effectiveness and cost effectiveness um acceptability uh side effects and safety and equity so these are kind of all really important sort of ways to look at you know what can we actually choose and what can we actually do here so we kind of used thought about those things and went through the sort of list of kind of key barriers that had come out from that literature and some things um, we then decided to select as targets for our intervention for this trial and some things we didn't so one of the things that came out was that people wanted to have knowledge about sort of cycle and walking routes in their local areas and the sort of facilities and although that was a that seemed like a, a, a potential target for intervention and we thought would be really good when we actually thought about it in the context of six local authorities and a mile away from everybody's house, the logistics of providing that information was just beyond what we could do in this trial. So th and that's one of the things that I think, you know, all of the local authorities yeah. are sort of quite keen and they've got lots of information around that. But we couldn't deliver that for every household in Yorkshire and Humber within. So on the basis of that it just wasn't practical to do that, that's one of the things that we didn't then include as a target in our intervention. But another that we did was this kind of issue of planning. Actually, people who were able to plan really carefully how they were going to kind of fit their active travel in, they were able to do it and we thought we could help with that. So those are the kinds of things we kind of went through each of those and went, you know, can we do anything about this within the scope of the trial? Um, and we selected the ones we could. So we ended up with focusing on on planning. 
on focusing, which was a sort of capability issue, uh, a couple of motivation issues. So one was around the beliefs about the positive sort of outcomes of being active and, and active travel and having kind of positive goals to be active, which sort of links to that point I made earlier around that, you know, actually it's part of your activity. Um, and then we had a couple that we didn't address directly, but we sort of addressed indirectly, which was time and weather and hills, which we can't make time for people and we can't change the weather or the hills, but we can help people to sort of overcome some of those barriers with a bit of pre-planning. So those were the kind of key things that we said, OK, these have come out and they, they come out from all of the local authorities as being sort of relevant. Um, they're going to be the things that we target um, in our intervention. And then we we then went on to kind of think about, well, how are we actually going to do that? Mm, that's an interesting point, isn't it? That actually across all six, they, there was that strong feedback coming through because um, that that's another challenge you, you sort of think when you're working with an individual council maybe it'll be quite a local set of insights that you're getting but I think that's really interesting that across the six huge range like you say different demographics different you know rural versus more cities like there's, there's a lot of difference there you were getting that clear consensus around those themes coming back is really interesting and I think that's partly about how we set it up as, as Caroline said earlier we had to have um, we were focusing this on a large population, so the large sort of population of Yorkshire and Humber who were currently using cars and therefore, you know, they could um, swap to not using cars. So we based our kind of uh, intervention on that large kind of group, so um, the needs of that large group. There were certainly in the discussions, weren't there, Caroline, early on, so different local authorities had identified sort of subpopulations, if you like, that they were aware sort of were, weren't uh, being active, uh, travelling actively, that they maybe wanted to focus on, but they were so different. So um, there wasn't that commonality across the local authorities. And actually, if you wanted to look at, you know, it would sort of almost be a different piece of work to sort of run, you know, focus groups specifically with those populations and develop very tailored, focused interventions. And that's entirely appropriate. But for this, we were trying to do something across six local authorities. So we had to look at the commonalities. That was really key. I think as well, we had to consider at that point what else we were already doing in a local authority. So one of the ideas that came up were journeys to and from school for example. But so, for example, in Doncaster, we're doing a lot of work around that already. So and, it, and I know some of the other local authorities were. So we didn't want to be sort of picking something out that where we're already doing some interventions and it might sort of skew that the, the behavioural insight intervention, if you like. So we had to consider all that as well. Um, amongst that, what we'd got funding or what we were working on as projects already that didn't sort of interfere, if you like, with what we wanted to find out from this project. So it 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 it, it was all part of that initial stage of thinking about what we could do and what we could all do. That is such an important point, Karen. I'm so glad you brought that point out because yeah, we need to make sure the sanctity of our project, yeah. of our trial, actually, that so we can say our results. There is causality in our results because it's purely on something that we've not got other interventions and other yeah. bits of funding or other council things going on uh, or, or other parts of the public sector, actually, not, you know, other partners. So 
such an important point. So, so you've you've got all your insights, you've gone through the appease model, and so what was the final intervention or nudge that you decided on? So we actually ended up testing two interventions, um, and this was, I think this is quite an important thing. So the kind of motivational aspects was the first intervention. So um, an intervention to to motivate people to um, to to be active. Um, so convincing them that perhaps um, there were sort of health benefits of being active, tra active, traveling actively, there's environmental benefits. But we were aware that different people had sort of different motivations that had come out strongly from the focus groups as well. So what we did is we devised a motivational intervention where we asked people to identify the kinds of things that were important to them. Um, so that was around sort of the health of themselves and their family or the environment, or we had a concern in there, which was the sort of time. Um, people then selected one of those and then they had some statements which sort of came from the focus groups really in terms of um, that, that sort of reinforced their motivations. And we asked them to rank those statements and the, the purpose of that ranking exercise wasn't because we were necessarily interested in which one they thought was the most important, but it required them to read them carefully, um, process them and then um, uh, put them in order. So we knew the motivational intervention was effectively kind of deciding on a sort of personal motivation, ranking some statements that related to that um, and in doing so kind of um, getting them to think about their motivations uh, for active travel. So that was the first intervention. Um, and then the second one was doing that plus this planning. So what we asked them to do then was um, to swap one car journey. Um, they could do more than one, but we asked everybody to do at least one for an active travel journey and to identify exactly when and where they were going to, to be active instead of using their car. And then we asked them to think, OK, what might get in the way of that plan? and ask them to kind of make a plan to overcome that. Um, so it's a sort of a planning intervention. So we had our motivation, our motivation plus goal setting and planning. And then for the trial, we needed a control intervention. Uh, so something to compare it to. So what we did is we created an intervention that was the same in, in sort of structure to the motivational intervention, but we asked them about um, electric car purchasing. So it was a sort of related behaviour because we're asking about cars and walking. So um, we wanted the people who were doing the questionnaire that ended up being the intervention was embedded within a questionnaire, an online questionnaire. We wanted it to sort of seem like a not a weird thing to suddenly be asking them about. And it wasn't within the context of the questionnaire, but it didn't get them to think about active travel and it didn't get them to plan it. So it acted as our control. And also good insight, I guess, to understand. Yeah, we haven't really looked at that data, for, I have to say. They want things to potentially in the, in the future purchase a, an electric car. So, mm -hmm. and you talked there about uh, replacing a, a car journey with a more active journey. Was that like, you know, in the next week? Like, was that one car journey a week? Was there that sort of detail? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. In the next week. Um, replacing a, a identifying a, a journey that you could walk instead of using the car which one is it what you're going to do so yes exactly that um yeah and that kind of uh, swapping sort of makes you know that it, it's i think it, it 
it's a sort of known behavioural sort of change technique that you're kind of swapping one thing for another. Um, it's used in diet, for example, quite often where we're trying to get people to swap unhealthy things for healthy things. Um, so, yeah. Excellent. So how did you get the, the questionnaire out to, to the community? Can you tell me more about, about that, please? Yes. Yeah, so it was, yes, as I say, it was an online sort of survey with an embedded intervention into it that people were randomised to through the system. Um, and we we chose that. The logistics basically sort of forced the choosing of that, I think, didn't it, Caroline? I don't think there was yeah. any other way we could have delivered a trial within the time frame and, and over the sort of six local authorities that we had. Um, but we did have uh, did think really carefully about, you know, how are we going to persuade people to to do this study? And it's always um, an issue in any kind of uh, sort of trial is is getting the participants. Um, the local authorities, you know, were absolutely key in this in terms of getting it was, a you know, a link effectively is what people had to click to get uh, onto our questionnaire. And then um, they then got an email two weeks later to ask them to do a follow up questionnaire where we asked about the, their behaviours again to see if we'd had an, an impact. Um, so it was really through the sort of social media um, platforms and newsletters of the of the local authorities. But to add to that, to incentivise completion, we had a, a prize draw with a, a prize of, of £200 for, um, for uh, at both steps. Because we knew that, you know, you've got to you've got to give somebody something back for for doing something that's going to take a bit of their time and is a is a bit of a hassle. Um, so, Caroline, you, you'll know more about what happened next, I guess. Yeah. So, from a local authority perspective, um, we received the link when everything was completed. We didn't have any involvement on a local level in in receiving any data. It all went back to to the team at, that Maddie's working with. Um, so we didn't see any of that data. We didn't have anything to do with it. We solely shared the link. And what we all did was put it out on our, like Maddie says, really, we've, all, we've got loads of different social media channels at local authorities, email networks that we could pop it into um, and just really covered it. I think one thing to say is if you're thinking of doing something where you need um, a, a behavioural insight, where you need sort of, well, they'll, they'll all need some kind of intervention with the community. You do really need to get your comms um, people on board at your local authority level to support you in doing that. And I think throughout this process, we learned a lot about when and at what point we needed to bring different colleagues in to support us in doing that work. So that's something to think about in your first stages of planning as well. Right, who might we need to involve in this? And in this case, comms was a really... Um, important piece of that jigsaw to get that out and then I work with my comms lead and we just schedule different times in as well she really did it schedule different times in when it was going out and then we got an end date and we knew from that point on we would not be um sharing it anymore um and then like I say Maddie and team told you know they gave us the information about the numbers that had been received so yeah it, it just went through that process so the actual intervention to be fair, didn't take a lot of local authority time in terms of getting it out there. And again, I think um, doing it in that sense of social media, well, I, I wouldn't know without doing some kind of comparison, but I feel we probably got more participants than we might have done if we were trying to go out and speak to people face to face or, you know, turn up at places and stuff It and the time it takes. So I think for 
for doing it online, the numbers that were received and the, the findings that we got from that was um, in this short space of time, the best option to do. And I, I think in other, in other um, things like this, I think it's something we would consider rather than spending that time physically going to a community because I think we opened it up to a broader range of people again as well. Um, whereas we would go to a community centre or somewhere that we're used to working in and get the same people, whereas we might, well, I'm hoping that we hit a different mix of people again because we did it through a, a virtual um, experience rather than going out and seeing people. I think people are more um, open as well while they're not speaking to somebody. So ordering those, that initial questions about what their barriers or challenges or whatever might be, what they wanted to think about or what their motivators would be, I think you're not influenced by anybody because you're just sat at home doing it yourself. Whereas when you, if there's a few people there and you're doing it as a focus group, that start influencing people's answers. So, but now I think it's something else to think about in our, our new way of working. I was just thinking then. My thought really was: is it that when you're gathering the insights at the start to understand the barriers to the behaviour you want to change, that's when you go into that really targeted focus group you know trying to get all those voices understand all the barriers in the community in that way but then actually one if it's an intervention like this like a question then you can go out bigger through the social media comp is mm -hmm. that the approach you took yeah it is it is and I think um yeah it was partly practical I mean I think they are different the kind of you know the 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 audience the audience the participants we got rather um for the the study um you know we got a, a lot so we had um over 4000 people clicked on the survey link um and of those uh about 300 3700 com uh, completed the survey and you know a few kind of dropped out along the way but we got you know really quite impressive numbers in a pretty short space of time. I'm not going to say that they're representative of everybody in Yorkshire and Humber because they're not. They're, they're more educated. Um, they are, um, uh, they've probably got higher employment levels. They, you know, there's a certain type of person who will have seen this message and I think we have to acknowledge that, that it's not necessarily representative of everybody, but we did get a really kind of good sample from across and we had you know, it was variable by local authority. We had a good number of people from from across all of the, the local authority areas. Um, just one thing to say about the social media adverts, it was really important that we we sort of focus that on recruiting car users rather than focusing it on we're doing a study on active travel. Um, yeah. And I know some of the local authorities had a bit of sort of uh, cross communication with their comms teams around that because you know they knew it was an active travel trial but actually if we'd put something out that was around active travel we'd get the people who were already interested in doing active travel and we didn't want that we wanted the people who were using their cars yeah. um, so and I know that caused a little bit of concern for some of the local authorities because it looked like we were sort of we, the wording had to be careful so that it didn't look like rather we were promoting car use because we absolutely weren't but we just wanted to, to, to get those people that that were the relevant people for, for this study. So there are pros and cons of, of, of this, but to be honest, any way that you run a trial, you depending on how you recruit people, you recruit a certain type of person. We know from, you know, even the sort of gold standard clinical trials, they're not recruiting everybody in the in the kind of proportions they are in the population. So I think it's just being aware of that 
and um, uh, taking that into account when you're thinking about the sort of what what this means, I guess. And I think that's probably is partly why we kept it as broad, Madine, so that we didn't want to focus in on a particular, we didn't want to focus in on areas of deprivation or certain populations because that would have made it really difficult to get that feedback. And what we thought was actually the quite often the people that are using cars and have a number of cars at their household are not necessarily the people within certain sets of communities so we did want to focus on people that were car users and relied on cars a lot so we, that's one of the reasons we kept it quite broad because that was a quite a big discussion when we when we first started um deciding if we we're going to have a target population or just keep it open to to adults really i think it's that key point again around focusing on whose behavior it is you want to change yeah. and it was clearly car users here and that influenced the messaging, didn't it? And it's keeping yeah. that outcome. Again, we talked at the start about that outcome in mind all the way through. But again, yeah, really important learning points to pick up on. So what were the results? So, yes. So overall, um, when we looked at everybody, just to say, yeah, so we ended up with, in terms of the number of people that came back, it was around half the people that did the first part of the survey came back and did the second. And, and that's sort of what we expected. So we had sort of uh, around 560, 550 in each of the conditions at the end of the study. So really good numbers. Um, so what we found was the control condition, they didn't change. So the, the measure, just to say, was that the percentage of journeys travelled actively um, was our sort of outcome measure. So we, we, we measured, you know, all the journeys they'd done in the in the past week and then we uh which of those were car which of those were walking cycling we calculated the percentage of journeys traveled actively so the control condition didn't change at, between baseline and follow-up as a result of the intervention the motivation condition on itself um that significantly uh, increased their their uh, percentage of active travel journeys so it was around a sort of um, five per six percent increase from baseline to follow up, and when we looked at the planning condition, that was a little bit higher. So that was more like an eight percent um, increase in that condition. So having some effects, but then we went on to look at something else, which I think was was really really interesting. So obviously, people filled in the questionnaire and they kind of did these tasks as part of the intervention, or they were randomised to a condition where we asked them to do these tasks. Not everybody did what we asked because people are people and <laughs> that's what happens. So we went and looked at the peep, just the proportion of people who had done what we asked them to do in terms of the intervention. So for the motivation, these were the people that had done the ranking task. And for people in the motivation and goal setting, they'd done the ranking task and they'd also set this goal. So we went and looked at just those people. And, you know, those are the people from a theoretical point of view that we would expect it would work for, because if you sort of missed it out and not done it properly, it's likely to have less of an, an effect. And then when you look at those people, the motivation condition, it's about the same. They increase, but about the same. But the people who did the planning, we're then looking at a about a 13% increase in their active travel. Wow. So where we could persuade people, if you like, and there were, there's a, a couple of different reasons why they might not have actually done that. Um, it had a much bigger effect, but less people did it. So only around half of the, the people actually followed those instructions properly and did that. So it's it's quite an ask, I guess, getting people to commit 
to swapping a car journey. And it may be because they've already swapped all the car journeys that are feasible, so they couldn't have swapped one. Or it may be that we just hadn't persuaded them within the course of a, you know, a, a, an online questionnaire that's quite, you know, it's not sort of having a conversation and persuading them. We're doing it in an online sort of by a far method. But yeah, so around, uh, so there were 221 out of the two, 548 who actually stuck to those um, instructions. But but really, you know, so quite a, a large proportion of them did. And when they did, it had a really, really, uh, you know, a really significant effect on their, their active travel. So I think that tells us something about, you know, the value of this, but also it's not just about the, the intervention, it's about the extent to which people engage with an intervention, which is really, really important. Mm. And that's fascinating, isn't it? And it, it's, it, that can inform council communications and how, rather than saying to people, you know, be more active in your travel, it's actually understanding what the barrier is, is this planning for weather, planning for being late, planning and actually having a, you know, that's the message, isn't it? To encourage people to have a plan for when they're going to travel actively. So, and that's what ensures that it happens, isn't it? That's a completely different message, isn't it, Caroline, for, for the council? That's a completely different way of of looking at it yeah, I guess. and that, that's what I, I'm thinking about what we take back to our individual local authorities is in the way that you know we, we can we can pay for people to have bike lessons but that doesn't mean they're going to convert to active travel so it's what we do on top of that that will encourage people to do that and that's some of the learning that we've got to try and apply now in our local authorities and you know, we, we talk about behaviour change all the time and various models and we've been using Combi in Doncaster for some time. We've got a Get Doncaster Moving um, project in Doncaster. So we've, we're quite keen, on, well, everywhere is quite keen on improving physical activity and build, but building it into daily lives. And I think it, it's just, it, it's, a, it's a massive task, but it's starting in small steps, I think. And, you know, we know that when, broken down about 200 and odd people um, committed to to doing that change then but that is still a fair number of people and it is going to be in small steps that we can get people to move that but once we get a movement going then more people will join in that and that's what we've got to try and do so it's going to be baby steps almost and sm small groups of people but hopefully that'll filter out alongside all the stuff we're doing like I said earlier about the infrastructure improvements um for people but i think one of the things that came out strongly for us and particularly from the focus group that i was involved in was that people didn't understand what or didn't know about what services were on offer if they weren't confident to ride a bike or they weren't sure the safe walking route and so there's something about how we commu communicate that in a different way to our communities so that they, they've got that knowledge and understanding so there's loads of stuff coming out of it that um that is to is to work on probably gone off track there a bit Rianne with the no, no, no that's, that's spot on that's spot on isn't it, it there's so much it, it's not just like you say providing the service it's not obviously part of it is the infrastructure we have to you know there is huge yeah. things around you know opportunity and, and 
do you feel safe and is the lighting right? And that is a huge role, isn't it, for the yeah. public sector to play around the infrastructure. We can't deny that. But I think that point for me around the planning and it's and again, it's not just for active travel. I'm thinking for physical activity. It's that encouraging people mm-hmm. to make a plan to do X is a very different message, isn't it, to can you do X, please, everyone? It's a good yeah. thing to do. I think, I think about, that's vital. Yeah. Especially for this project, we just said change one journey, one short journey. We weren't asking people to, you know, do three a day or something ridiculous. It it was very much starting from a baseline of nothing, I suppose, and just doing one thing to to start that um, active travel movement off. So I think that's something to think about is what how we put messages out almost maybe could be interpreted as that we're expecting people to do something all the time. Well, that's not what we're expecting. We're expecting really small changes that fit in with people's lives um, and that and that they can manage and plan into their days. People have got very busy and complex lives. We understand that. So we've got to really understand our communities and know what we can sort of expect from interventions. And that's not always maybe the amount that we'd like but it's something. I think that, you know, making the ask realistic is really yeah. important because as soon as an ask looks sort of out of reach, then people just switch off. But you know, it's unachievable. Why would I even be thinking about it? So I think that's really important. And the planning thing, I mean, that there's lots of sort of evidence of the value of planning because there's something called the intention behaviour gap which is just, you know, people intend to do the right thing, but actually translating that into actually doing it is is a challenge. And this kind of planning thing just helps people sort of convert those good intentions into what they actually end up doing. And, you know, there's lots of research in lots of different behaviours that this is really, really important. And I think people don't, when if, if you ask people, that's not necessarily the thing that kind of comes to mind that's going to help. It's not sort of something that... That, that people think about doing because people think that they're going to act according to their intentions but <laughs> but we're more complicated than that aren't we and I, I, I think human, people yeah and I think people sort of so when you're doing something that's routine you've subconsciously planned what you're going to do so you're going to get in your car you're going to drive there and it's just changing that thought process so there's planning taking place already but this is a bit more um outward I suppose that you've got to come out of yourself and think of a different plan to get you from A to B and back again so it's taking that norm and just changing it slightly and that and that's the way to develop good habits yeah so we've got habits already for using our cars for journeys that we really shouldn't be using our cars for and getting people to make this kind of swap where they go okay that's the thing but I'm going to do it differently you know that's the way to translate those old bad habits into good new habits uh, and that's the way that we can kind of promote that change in the longer term obviously this trial was quite short but the methods that we're using here around you know making those plans and and repeating them over time so you know when you want to go to the post office instead of getting in the car you walk instead then over the longer term that can become a good habit that then people are able to stick to relatively easily I think that point it's one journey yeah let's try this once this feels difficult there's a lot of barriers oh I'm not sure about this but I've tried it once oh that was okay that was good then it encourages it again and again and again I think that's the key to take that first Mm -hmm. small step isn't it so 
really interesting, really interesting. Uh, so much coming out of this trial. So, so last question, last question for me. We always ask people at the end of the podcast, you know, what are your top three learning points or top three tips for other councils, busy council officers, busy councillors who are listening in, who would like to replicate your trial, you know, the active travel trial in their local area. What are those top three tips you'd like to leave our listeners with today? I think for me, and I've, I've I've mentioned them already throughout the conversation, but it's that collaboration. So whether you're collaborating as a group of local authorities, but you've got to have that um, collaboration internally as well and get those people on board from day one and, and explain what you're planning on doing. And it's a bit difficult in the beginning because you're not quite sure what it's going to turn out. It, well, for us, it took, you know, we, you, you're going so long as a collaborative to just get to that point where, right, this is what we're doing, but you've got to pre-warn people that you're gonna need support from. So do some of that groundwork first and think about who you might need to get involved. And that might be contacting people that have been part of the Behavioural Insights programme already and asking how they, you know, for their, how they approach that and what kind, you know, what teams did they need involved? Who did they work with? Um, so I think there's that element. Um, I think it's that understanding of what you want to achieve and getting that right. So it's the who, what, where, when, how, why, how scenario and really taking your time to think that that is right for the, you know, that is the right thing you want to do, considering all the things we've talked about uh, on the podcast alongside that. And then for me, it's having that external or um, impartial facilitator, which Maddie's team acted and they did a lot more than that, but that on our workshops really helped because they could just get us to deep dive into things and think about it differently and ask those probing questions which sometimes get missed um and i think because maddie's team have got that behavioral sciences knowledge then that sort of helped as well because they understood understood where we're, what we're trying to achieve and where we're coming from also got an understanding of our local authorities work so perhaps in that is making sure that your partner organization is somebody that um has that understanding and can and can and do those things for you i think i've said three there and is that right you have you have caroline yeah spot on Loads <laughs> I'm just going to acknowledge my colleague Rachel Thornalow. Yeah. Sorry, I've not said Rachel's name. Yeah, <laughs> who did loads of the work on this and has been absolutely fantastic. So, so uh, with thanks to Rachel. My top three, I think, are um, make sure you do the insight work properly. I think it's there's a lot of jumping to well, we know this and we know this, and actually, do you really know that, or is you've just heard it a lot of times? So, I think. Do the insight work properly. That's really, really important. And then match your interventions to the things that are coming out of your insight work. I think there's an inclination to go to jump to the intervention with what you can do without before before you understand what the actual issues are from the insight work. So insight work fast first match your interventions so that they're going to address the actual things, you know, within that, you know, you can't address everything. We talked about the appease criteria, being sensible about it, but matching them. And finally, I think not forgetting engagement with the intervention. So that is, you know, we can have the best intervention in the world, but if we can't get people to engage with it, it doesn't work. So and that is really, really crucial. And I think that's um, not thought about enough. 
um, when we think about interventions. Are people actually even going to look at it or, or read it or do what we're supposed to do? And if not, we almost need, we almost need another intervention for that part, part, for how do we get people to engage with it in the first place? How do we make it easy? Yeah, easy. It's partly easy, though, because it's easy to read a poster, but you don't necessarily process a poster. So it's more, yeah, it's kind of that engagement at a level that is going to produce the outcomes that you sort of want. So yes, making it easy, making it attractive, you know, all of those kinds of really good messages from sort of the East model. But you need engagement at a, the right level as well as sort of noticing it. And that's not necessarily the same thing. It's fantastic, ladies. Thank you so much for your time today on the podcast. And, and thank you for sharing the story and the learning uh, and, and everything from such an important and interesting project that I know councils will be across the country will be listening into uh, and really interested in, in, in replicating in their own areas. So the final report from Yorkshire and Humber is, is been published on our website at www.local.gov.uk. If you search for behavioural insights on, on the LJA's website, you will find that there. We're also really interested to hear from, from you listening. So are there any particular speakers or any particular topics you would like us to feature on the podcast please do get in touch and, and drop us an email at behavioralinsights@local.gov.uk. thank you for listening please do share the podcast with your colleagues um, and we will be uh, be out with another episode very soon <laughs>